All right, well, good morning. We're so glad you are here and happy Easter to you and your family. Thank you for joining us for this third Easter service of the weekend. And uh, take your Bibles and head to Luke 23, Luke 23. Of course, we are celebrating our risen Savior today, but here at Grace, we celebrate him every day. And so we're just glad you're a part of this and we want you to be uh, blessed today as God speaks to us through his word. We know that Jesus is not on the cross. We know that Jesus is not in the tomb. We know that Jesus is alive now and forevermore. But you know, I grew up going to church and hearing Easter messages and always the empty tomb, the empty tomb, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. That's wonderful. But I do want to say, well, why did he die? What happened there that was so significant Because the resurrection proves that God received the sacrifice of Christ, but why did we need the sacrifice of Christ? And what does that do for us? What does it mean for us today? And so to get to the heart of the question, I want us to walk back two days. Two days. I want us to go to Good Friday. For years, I never understood why is it called Good Friday? Such an odd name on a day when somebody's executed. Why Good Friday when Jesus gave his very life that day, beaten, spit upon, shamed? But you see, God is always in the business of taking that which is horrific and bad and turning it into good and beautiful. And that's what Good Friday is about. And I want you to see an image there. The image, though, would not just be of one cross. That would be wrong. Now, the one cross is the one that mattered. But according to the scripture, of course, there were three crosses there. And the question today that I want you to answer, the question that we've had people answering all weekend and we've seen people getting saved this weekend. One of the young men you just saw, a young adult came after the service. I'm not sure of this, I wanna nail this down. We knelt right here together, less than half an hour ago, I guess. About half an hour ago. And he prayed and received Christ and he said yes. And I said, are you ready to get baptized? We got everything you need. He said yes. And you just witnessed his baptism just a minute ago <laughs> along with the others. You, you, you really can, you really can have your eternal destiny changed today. Not because he got baptized, that doesn't do anything. That doesn't wash away sin. The blood of Jesus washes away sin though. And I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna use some young assistants to help me today. So I want you guys to give a huge grace welcome to Jeremiah, Megan, and Jonathan. You guys jump up and join me right here, okay? All right. Good looking crew, let's see, let's see. All right, come here first, Jeremiah. I think, yeah, when you got hair like that, you need to stand close to me right here. You stand right here, buddy. And then let's put you right in the middle, right here. Right, yeah, go over just a smidgen. And then, sweetheart, if you'll come right here on this end. Okay, now, Jeremiah, I'm gonna start with you, okay, buddy? Now look, no offense, I'm sure you're a great guy, but today you're gonna be a dirty, rotten sinner, okay? It's just the way it is. So you're gonna hold that, don't let them see it yet. Don't show them yet, just keep it to yourself. You ready? Now, let's see, Megan, 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 Megan. You too are a dirty, rotten sinner. But, I'm sorry, but there's hope for you. You're the good guy. All right, hold this. Don't let them see it, okay? But now don't let this go to your head, big guy, 
but today you're playing Jesus, okay? You're playing there. I don't know where his mom and daddy are, but you can pop his head when you get out of here. Don't show him yet, okay? But you're gonna be Jesus for me right here. It's very interesting to me that the Bible sets this story up in a way that says Jesus was crucified between two criminals. And one guy, by the way, according to the gospel writers, particularly Matthew and Mark, they say both of these were hurling insults blaspheming Jesus. They were saying bad things to the guy in the middle. But this guy, he just never got it. Maybe it was the hair, do you think? He just never got it. And so this is the cross where we see him, turn the sign, this guy rejects what Jesus is offering. I'm sorry, buddy, I know you wouldn't do that. But he rejects the offer. Now this guy on this side, much smarter than that guy, okay? Yeah, obviously. This guy, turn it around and let him see, this guy receives what Jesus is going to offer. And and Jesus says, I'm here to do something for you. I'm here to give you something. I want to show him what you want to do for him. I, I want to redeem you. You're in the slave market of sin. All of us have sinned. And so I want to buy you back from the slave market. And so I want you here, Jesus, can you hold that like this and hold it real high, way up over your head? You're the the guy on the middle cross right here. I want to redeem you, but you have a choice. Which side are you on? I know all my Calvinist friends are going to say, yeah, but God chooses you before the foundation of the world. They're elect and they're predestined. Yes, yes, yes. But they also seem, it seems to me, in the scripture, receive or reject what God is offering. Many instances of that where it seems like you have an option here in free will or the power of moral choice, you can reject it. And I'm sorry, dude, but you just rejected it, okay? I know you really didn't. Or you can receive. Now, I know what some of these folks are going to say, guys. You know what they're going to say? I'll take door number three. I don't like those options. Sorry, Monty Hall. Sorry, Wayne Brady. You don't get a door number three. This isn't let's make a deal with God. This is your option. Now, this morning, here's the question. Which side are you on? I'm over here. I'm right here with her. I can't occupy the center cross. I'm not worthy to redeem anybody, much less myself. I don't occupy the center space, nor do you. I'm with her. But no doubt in a room this large with this many people, and certainly our online audience, there's no doubt that some of you are still here. And I know what some of you are thinking. I've not decided yet. I'm going to prove to you in a moment that in itself is a decision. Give Jeremiah, Megan, and Jonathan a big round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, sweetheart. God bless you. You can go back to your family. And for Jonathan, who played the role of Jesus, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. You can straighten him out later, all right? We are so grateful for the many, 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 many children we have here at Grace Baptist Church and all of these families and young families and the, uh, this season of just wonderful, rapid growth. And you say, oh, they're running through the church aisles. Isn't it beautiful to see children running through the aisles of the church? I'm okay with that. And if you say anything to my granddaughter Lucy for running through the aisles of the church, we're gonna have a laying on a hand ceremony with you. So <laughs> it's cool, man. Churches get so stuffy about things. Don't talk, don't make noise, don't run. Would you get over yourself? Man, if Jesus showed up, we'd all be running the aisles and jumping the pews. That's for my Pentecostal friends out there. Don't be so stuffy. It's wonderful. I appreciate you kids. Thank you so very much. And I appreciate a church that has hundreds and hundreds of beautiful children. And a lady came up to me last night after the last night's service and said, we had seven in the one-year-old room 
Every volunteer was praying that you hurried up. Okay, I get it. I'm gonna hurry up. I'm gonna hurry up. I can't say for sure, but it seems to me that the imagery of Jesus on the center cross with one man on this side and another on that is a picture of the ultimate choice you and I have to make. So let's see the narrative unfold before us in this scene today. And you know, again, there's no third door, no third way. It's either a a cross of reception or a cross of rejection. Which side are you on? Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We'll pick up with verse 32. So Luke 23, verse 32, okay? Here we go. The word of the Lord says, there were also two others, criminals, led with him, led with Jesus, to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals. Watch this. One on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. There's a prophecy about that in the Old Testament. And the people stood looking on and even the rulers with them sneered saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ, the chosen of God. Remember Christ just means Messiah. The soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and they too were doubting saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged or was hanging with him blasphemed him saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? seeing you're under the same condemnation, and and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, notice you don't turn to a priest, you don't turn to a denomination, you don't turn to another person, you turn to Jesus. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. What a beautiful reply, Lord Jesus. Thank you for telling that unworthy, dirty, rotten scoundrel, today you'll be with me in paradise. Thank you for telling me, a dirty, rotten scoundrel, today I have accepted you and received you you can begin eternal life with me now. And that's been well over 30 years ago. And God, I'm still benefiting from the promise you made even then. And I know that there are a lot of brothers and sisters in the room. I know there are a lot of people that already love Jesus here. But God, may we grow in these moments to love him even more, to serve him even greater. But for those that are on the fence, those waffling, or those who definitely are hanging on that cross of rejection, may this be the day. This is the moment. Today is the day of their salvation. This is the time when they move from death to life. That's what Easter's about, new life springing forth through Christ. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. You've already spoken because the word's been read. Now may we hear and apply these truths for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So 
Let's just ask a couple of questions. I know you guys could already fill out the main points of your outline, but let's get this on the table. Are you on the side which has rejected Christ? Okay, are you over here? Let's walk back through 32 and following. These two criminals are led with Jesus to be put to death. They come to Calvary. They crucify Jesus in the middle, each one on the other side. Now, why? Well, I think for Roman soldiers, when you're professional executioners, it's probably easier just to do them in a batch. You've already got everybody coming out. You're leaving the walls of the city. You're walking out to this place called Calvary, and you are going to crucify these guys. Might as well do it together. Also, they probably didn't know Isaiah, the great prophet, in chapter 53 and verse 12, he said this, the Messiah would pour out his life unto death and be numbered with the transgressors meaning that he would be there with criminals, guys that had actually done wrong, though there was no deceit found in him. So now verse 34, gang, is really another sermon in and of itself. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. I mean, think about it. He's been beat, he's been spit upon, laughed at, mocked, crown of thorns on his head, nails in his hand. He's looking down at these Roman soldiers, these professional executioners, and he says, Father, forgive them? They don't understand. They don't comprehend what's going on here. And imagine being able to say that to someone doing such to you. In fact, it's the first of seven sayings of Christ on the cross. You guys have probably heard of that. They're, they're given to us all throughout John's gospel in particular and through the other gospel writers. Dr. F.B. Mayer, a great preacher of the early 20th century, he said this, in uttering his first cry from the cross, our Lord entered that work of intercession, which he ever lives to continue on our behalf. He thinks not of himself, but of others. He's occupied not with his own pain, but with their sins. He makes no threat, but instead offers a tender prayer of pleading intercession. There they are. Often we sing on a hill called Mount Calvary. Interestingly enough, the Bible never says Jesus was crucified on a hill. We take it to mean a hill because of the language. Calvaria is the Latin, so that's where we get the word calvaria. Um, interestingly enough, though, the other gospel writers use a word called Golgotha, an Aramaic expression. But that term, Golgotha, and listen to the Greek. The Greek's the, really the coolest of them all. The Greek word, let me make sure I'm saying it correctly for you. The Greek word is cranion. Cranion. That's where we get... The, the cranium, it's the idea of the skull. That's why you've heard it, the place of the skull. Why was it called this? Couple of reasons. It was a place of execution. So maybe there were skulls around. Maybe it was just a horrible, deadly place. Most biblical scholars, though, argue, and having been to Israel a number of times and taking over a hundred of you guys this fall, you're going to see that outside of the city walls, the more evangelical traditional place of execution is a hill that absolutely looks like the face of a skull. It was an elevated place just outside of the ancient walls of Jerusalem that was eerie, man. I mean spooky. But just down the way, there's a beautiful garden. A beautiful garden with rock-hewn tombs with big stones that roll in front of the doors all coming together in the biblical narrative. The point being, though, is this is a place of death that Jesus is about to transform into a place of life. He is going to give life at a place of crucifixion, a most horrible, bloody, disgusting place you can imagine. But interestingly enough, they put this sign over Jesus. You know what the Romans are trying to say? 
This is, and the sign is, this is the king of the Jews. The religious leaders hated that. They wanted it to say, he said he's the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what's written is written, let it be. But what they're saying to the watching world is, look, if you think you're going to usurp Caesar, if you think you're going to overthrow the government, this is what we do to supposed kings, Jewish people, and others. In fact, they wanted everybody to know because they put it in three languages. The lingua franca, the language of the day, Koine Greek. They put it in the language of the Jews, Hebrews, Hebrew, and they put it in the, the national language of the Romans or the official language, which was Latin. So in all of these languages, right, in the Greek, in the Latin, in the Hebrew, they have this claim. That's very interesting. The Bible says in Matthew 27 and in Mark 15 that both criminals were actually mocking Christ. Both criminals are blaspheming the Lord. Both criminals are hurling insults. And this one guy recorded in Luke speaks up and we get what he says. If you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself and save us? And that word insult or railing or defamation or blasphemy, it's a lot stronger than just picking on him. It's a lot stronger than just sort of quasi-bullying him. It's bitter and sarcastic and cutting. And as this dude is literally walking toward his eternal destiny, strolling through the valley of the shadow of death, bleeding out, soon they'd break his legs and he would suffocate and he would die because of the excruciating pressure put on the human lungs. And there's so many medical things we could discuss, but it's beyond the scope this morning. I simply want you to see that this guy is cursing his way to hell. It's a cross of rebellion. He throws away his last chance at forgiveness. He has a hardened heart and he misses heaven. Notice some things about this dude and some things that could, could characterize those of us that have also clung to the cross of rejection and rebellion. Look, he avoids admission of guilt. Do you notice that? He never says he's done wrong. Now the other dude's gonna change his tune, but this guy never says he's done anything wrong at all. I was thinking about sharing a story of my kids from some years ago. I had one in mind, but then having a two-year-old granddaughter in the house, things happen all the time now. We had family and friends come into town and stay with us, and two nights ago, they decided to give Lucy a big bowl of blueberries and blackberries. Now, the last time they left me alone with Lucy and went on a little travel thing for the morning, they had pumped her full of blueberries and blackberries the day before, and I'm telling you right now, the diapers that came later were not of God, okay? They were demonic. I'm just going to throw it out there. So I was a little apprehensive that the precious one has these blueberries and blackberries, but I thought, well, they're going to be here. They got to deal with the consequences of this, man. But I noticed that she's got this sort of gritty look on her face, and I thought, what is she doing? And so I'm kind of, we're all in the kitchen. Everybody's busy doing their thing, and I kind of walk over to Lucy in the high chair, and I say, sweetheart, what are you doing? And she's kind of gritting, and I see her fist is clenched. Well, what that precious little angel had done was grabbed a handful of blueberries and blackberries and she wanted to make juice, I guess. And so just oozing out all over is this purple juice all over her and everything else. And I said, Lucy, are you squeezing your blueberries and your blackberries? And what do you think she said to me? No, gee, Pa. The evidence is overwhelming, and she lied right to my face. Now, of course, I laughed, and there's not much you can do, but she's two. But how often have I gone to my heavenly father, and I'm trying to hold a sin so tightly, and he's saying, my child, do you have that in your hand? And you go, no, father. <laughs> and the evidence is oozing out all over. For those that reject Christ, typically there is no admission of guilt just like a two-year-old, and he's angry 
about being caught, you've seen the difference in people remorseful, repentant, or those angry about being caught. He's not sorry he's offended God or that he sinned against his creator. He's sorry that he's paying the price for his own sin. And the Bible says in James 1.15 that sin when conceived always brings death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Now, of course, it also says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But this guy is just mad that he's hanging there for his own choices. Do you notice he also flaunts skepticism? And sometimes those rejecting the Lord just flaunt outright unbelief. But this guy, he says, if, verse 39, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you're the promised one the Jews have been yakking about all of these many centuries, why don't you save yourself and us? Remember, the imagery was a political leader riding the great white stallion, overthrowing the Roman government, not at all what Jesus was there to do. The first time he came as a sacrificial lamb. The second time he comes as lion of the tribe of Judah, as conquering king and king of Lord, Lord of lords. But they didn't get it, and the criminal said, hey buddy, why don't you take care of this? He was flaunting his skepticism. Now, when you start saying, if you're the Christ, folks, that's devil talk. That's devil talk. Let me explain. The devil said to Jesus in Matthew 4, 3, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. That's devil talk. The devil, we're about to get back into Genesis. I hope you'll join us. If you have a regular church home, be faithful there. If you are possibly looking for a home, come on back. We're going to do this same time, same place next week. We would love to have you. We're going to be heading back to Genesis. And when I pick that up, Genesis 3, 1, Genesis, uh, the, the, the serpent, the tempter, the devil, says to Eve, has God indeed said, and he goes on, you can't touch and do this. Now, he distorts the word of the Lord. But also he questions the word of the Lord. Has God indeed said? You'll find that when people are doubting the word of God, it's devil talk. Whenever there's skepticism and rampant unbelief. Now look, I'm not saying you'll never doubt. In fact, I would argue that if you've never had a doubt at all about the Bible or a doubt about your faith, you probably haven't wrestled with it strongly enough. You will doubt at times. There will be times. But I will tell you, as you mature, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You'll doubt less. Your faith will be shored up and become stronger. But the devil is the author of confusion. He wants people to doubt the word of God, especially about salvation. But Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is one thing that will keep you out of heaven today. Now let me be clear. Your goodness doesn't get you in and your badness doesn't keep you out. But there is one thing that will keep you out and that is persistent unbelief. The Bible even references that as blasphemy of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit witnesses to who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. And if you continually reject that witness and you end this life, However your life ends, the Bible says in Revelation 21.8, the fearful, the unbelieving, and it goes on to list some others, abominable and so forth, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The Bible says if you die in unbelief, you will be forever separated from Christ and from heaven. And on the cross of rebellion and rejection, we notice his lack of humility. He is not remorseful. He is trying to be saved, but not because he wants the mercy of the Lord. I've said it like this. It reveals a heart of pride. 
The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I love what Pastor Jeff said up here this morning. We have seen a lot of people saved in these past few months. I mean, every week to the glory of God, people are getting saved. We're seeing a lot of families unite with us, a lot of young families with children or on the verge of having kids. We've seen a lot of God do that stuff. And we were sharing with our friends last night. We were laughing around the fire. Um, we got Bobby to eat a bug for $20. It was hysterical. We had a really good night. It's just funny. Uh, I'll show you the video one day because I'm going to work it into a sermon. He just doesn't know it yet. But <laughs> surprise. Uh, you know, we just had a really, really good night. But one of the things we were talking about and one of the things we always must keep in perspective is that if there's any good that comes, if there's any great story where people get saved and come to faith, it's because God did it, not because any man that did it. The thief on the other side of the cross tried to influence this criminal, but he couldn't save him. I can't save my own children or grandchildren. I can't save you. I have no power. I'm not asking you to turn to Bobby today. I'm not asking you to turn to Grace today. I'm not asking you to turn to Baptist today. I'm asking you to turn to Jesus today and receive the only one who can save you. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm begging and imploring of you, but don't be prideful. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, and pride keeps saying, I don't need God. I can save myself. But the prideful criminal could not save himself. And there are some things, folks, we don't know about hell. But Jesus and the New Testament writers use multiple vivid images to tell us hell is real. Hell is horrific. It is something to be feared and somewhere to be avoided. And Jesus clearly taught that this would be a place of eternal punishment if you reject him, but eternal life in heaven if you receive him. In other words, hell is as real and as lasting as heaven. I know we want to talk about heaven more. We should never be joking about hell. And those of you that have said, man, I know people that are going there and I'm just gonna go there and party. It is no party. It is isolation and torment and horror, unbelievable horror, indescribable horror. But you know, G.K. Chesterton, great pastor said, hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human personality. I read that line and I thought, how could hell be a compliment? But when you break it down, it's God saying to you, you're significant. I care about your choice. I have given you free will and the power of moral choice and I love you so much, I'm willing to let you go. Some of you have loved someone, a child, a wayward person, a spouse even. I have to love you so much, I'm willing to let you go. That's exactly what the Bible teaches us about hell. But I would ask, are you on the side which has rejected Christ? Now I know what some of you are thinking. I haven't decided yet. No, that's your choice. Seriously, right? I've said to those of you who've been here a while, you might have heard me talk. I, 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 I um, asked Cindy to marry me on this beautiful little romantic spot on the campus of William and Mary where we were students, Crimdale Bridge. And I got, we got to the peak of that bridge and there's all kind of little legends and stuff about it. And you know, man, I get down on one knee and I open this little box and there's this little tiny piece of sand they sold me, they said was a diamond, <laughs> but it's all I could afford and she loved it, so leave me alone. So I open it up and you know, I said, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Will you be my wife? Will you marry me? Now, gentlemen, if you've ever been on that knee and she says, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. <laughs> you're not walking away saying it's all good. You're walking away saying I've been rejected. 
She said no, and she says, no, 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 I didn't say no, I just didn't say yes. And you said, that's no. (laughs) Am I right or not? That's true, right? And see, you're thinking, but here's the deal, Pastor. You're saying that, that uh, you know, this is a rebellion and I'm on the way to hell if I don't receive Christ, but that's not really true. No, that is true because the Bible says that he who is not with me is against me. And you know John 3:16, but very few people know John 3:17 and 18. For the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We go, oh, that's beautiful, peaceful. Thank you, Lord. But we read in 18, he who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. The reality is we're all running. If God's here, we're all running this way. God in his sovereignty and yes, his election and all of that does save some, I get that, but we also turn, receive, accept this salvation, and somehow God in his majestic sovereignty turns us back. But that means if you've not turned back by faith, you say, how will I know if I'm chosen? Say yes to Jesus, you'll know. (laughs) But I don't know if God picked me. If you say yes to Jesus, I've got good news, God picked you. You say, you gotta explain that better. That's in the heart and mind of God. You're gonna take that up with him one day. You don't turn to the priest or pastor to save. You don't turn to the church, you turn to the Christ. And so we turn to him, and if you've never truly turned by grace through faith, then the reality is you're still lost and in your sin. And the Bible is so clear, there's no plan B or C or D. This is it, folks. It's like my professor said, if all roads to heaven are out but one, and they are. Remember? It's not loving to tell you guys all roads will get you to the other side, but it's not hate to tell you about the one way. His name is Jesus Christ. Are you on the side which has rejected Christ or, this is a beautiful thing, are you on the side which has received Christ? See, that other criminal was there on the other side of Jesus at Calvary. There isn't any reason to believe this dude's better than the first. And remember, Matthew and Mark already told us both guys are blaspheming. Both guys are hurling insults. What? changed. I'm going to make speculation. The Bible doesn't tell me this, okay? So understand, I'm speculating. But there is something that Jesus says that's recorded in Scripture that happens just before this incident. What is it? He's beaten to within an inch of his life. The skin's laying open on his back. He's beaten far worse than these dudes, according to the text. He's got these thorns pressed into his brow, the nails in his hands and feet, And yet when they put him up there, and I can just see that cross just falling in place, in his agony and in his shame, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Those Roman executioners, they don't even know what they do. Could it be that that old boy over here, could it be that that old boy over here said, well, I've never heard anything like that before. I wouldn't have said that. Could it be that that shut his mouth from his insults and cursing? Could it be that that opened his heart to the reality of the Messiah? Could it be that he got a real glimpse of God in flesh? Could it be that like that Roman soldier who after Christ perished said, truly, thou art the son of God. Could it be that he saw the tender compassion and forgiveness in the heart of Jesus Christ and he decided, I need him. I need the heart that he's got. I need the forgiveness that he displays. You see what happens? He demonstrates that he fears God. Do you see it? 
We read that this thief hung on the cross and when this one dude continued to reject, he said, hey man, do you not even fear God? Meaning, by implication, I'm changing over here. I know you feel the same way we did walking up the hill to get here, but I'm changing over here. Something's happening inside of me. Don't you even fear God? Don't you revere the one who made you? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he, I believe, began to understand condemnation with no possibility of self-attained salvation. The other dude is saying, save yourself and save us. This guy does not ask for salvation, not first. He understands he is condemned and he cannot save himself. See, some of y'all are in here today and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because I was that guy. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad it's been. I would challenge you to go back and read the great characters of scripture. Murderers, adulterers, prostitutes, and you could keep going down the list. People that God would radically transform by the gospel and the Messiah. You say, you don't know how bad it is. And I would remind you that I don't have to know your story when I know his story. And the blood of Jesus Christ is fully sufficient to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just like he cleansed me from all my junk. And he put it in the past. He buried it in the sea of forgetfulness. He didn't just cover it with the blood. He cleansed it with the blood. Jesus can do that for you today. It's not about how bad you are. It's about how good he is and how sufficient his sacrifice. This guy even acknowledges personal sin, do you see that? He knows that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He knows that none is righteous, no, not one, but now he acknowledges that he's a sinner in need of a savior. You know, the Pharisees in the time of Christ did not repent and submit to the baptism of John because it was a baptism of repentance. They were self-righteous. And Jesus said, those who are well need no physician. They don't understand just how sick they really are. But this old boy in verse 41 said, we receive the due reward of our deeds. We've messed up, but this guy in the middle, he is innocent. Look at how he's responding. And he finally accepts that his sentence is deserved. I'm here because I put myself here. I'm here because I made choices that led me to the cross. But Jesus willingly laid his life on the cross. The cross of redemption and reconciliation. He'd done everything he needed to do, but now, watch, now. The heart was changing. The Bible doesn't just say believe in the heart. The Bible says confess with the mouth. So what does he do? Lord, that's a good start for you this morning, by the way. Lord, master, king, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The cross of rejection versus the cross of reception. This guy has no doubt who Jesus was. He comes humbly, he admits his sin, he accepts his sentence, he cries out for mercy for Jesus to save him. Do you know the Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. So here's what Jesus says in reply, assuredly, Verily, 
Amen, it's amen in Greek, amen. So like for us, we put an exclamation point at the end of a sentence, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus put an exclamation point at the beginning of the sentence and Jesus said, hey, dude, listen up. You ask for me to remember you? He said, I tell you what I'm gonna do today, this very day, you're gonna be with me in paradise. Today, I'm gonna tell you the truth right here, right now. Now paradise is a Persian word, it means a walled garden. It was a, a special blessing when a Persian Persian king wanted to bestow it upon a guest. He would say, come and walk with me in paradise. And what the king was saying is more than just you're going to have eternal life. Jesus said, I'll give you more than immortality. I will walk with you. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I don't have time to get into compartmentalization theories and where did they go and what happened. I'm simply saying I'm a simple country preacher that tells you that day this dude was with Jesus and he used the same language that God used back in the garden when he started this thing and called it paradise. He said, if you want to walk with God, if you want to be in a place with no pain, no shame, no sin, no sorrow, I will take you to paradise and I'm not going to do it tomorrow and I'm not going to do it next week or next year. I'm going to give it to you today because you asked for it. Here's the cool thing. Here's the really cool thing. If you have ever been rejected by someone, okay, I mean, I remember, listen, I can go back in my mind. It was like yesterday, the first time Cindy wanted to go out with me, right? And she just kept asking over and over and over. I'm not looking at her. She was incessant. Would you please go out with me? You're so hot. I've got to have you. I mean, she just kept begging. <laughs> I need a couch to lay on tonight. I love you so much. But she wore me down. No, I'm kidding. Of course I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the thing though. You don't have to just keep begging and asking. When you say, Lord, remember me, he says, yes, I will. I do. And here's the cool part. We can start walking together today. Come be a companion of the king today. Now then, of course, you know you have paradise when you die, but today you'll be with me. He feared God, he admitted guilt, confessed Christ, and asked for salvation, and that's what Jesus gave him. Now watch, I'm a preacher, but I'm gonna tell you the truth. Are you ready? Here it is, here's the truth. He didn't come down and go to church, because church won't save you. Now some of you are gonna elbow the other one and say, see, I told you, we didn't even have to come today. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm messing you up, but here, your church won't save you. The preacher, the priest won't save you, right? Singing in the choir won't save you. Being a deacon won't save you. I hate to say this, but giving a tithe won't save you. It is commanded of God, Christian, but no, it won't save you. Here's the deal, though. It's only looking full into the face of Jesus and crying out to him, can you be saved? It's not a denominational choice. It's not even a church choice. You should be in the house of the Lord. As much as you are able, you should be worshiping with brothers and sisters. You should be growing in the faith. You should be back next week, here or wherever you go normally. You should be with the people of God, but none of that's gonna save you. Just like baptism today, we make it very clear. That did not wash away your sin. The blood of Jesus already did. But I wear this ring to show this world that I am committed to one lady. She said yes, I said yes, till death do us part. Plus, I like to remind Cindy it keeps the single ladies away because I wear it to show y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I wear it to show you I have made a commitment. My baptism was a way I showed the world in Easter of 1985, Easter Sunday, when I went under that water 
and I came out as a symbol that I had already died to my old self and I was risen with Christ. That's a long time ago, y'all, and I hadn't gotten over it yet. And some of you hadn't gotten over it either because Jesus saved then, he's still saving now. And what religion could you ever find in the world where the leader of that faith would say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, right? Islam won't do it. Islam can't do it. You find so many other faiths that won't do that. They'll say, try harder, be better, do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And Jesus said, you can't do it for yourself. Turn to me, trust me, receive me, quit rejecting me. And today you'll be with me in paradise because the work of salvation has nothing to do with the dude on the left. The work of salvation has nothing to do with the dude on the right. The work of salvation was completed by the God-man in the middle who would later cry, it is finished, paid in full, I've done everything for you that you could never do for yourself. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the word of the Lord says and it gives such blessed assurance because I'm not working for it. I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, I never will, but God gave it to me. You know why? Three reasons and I'm done. As the train pulls into the station right here, you ready? Salvation is simple. The devil's blinded the eyes of men and women thinking it's hard to be saved and I've gotta go through this hoop and that hoop and check this box and go to church enough times, but that's not biblical. Salvation is simple. You ask, you receive. You say, but how do I know if I'm chosen? Ask and receive. You'll know. It's never too late to come to Christ. I've seen many a deathbed conversion, but I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it because you don't know when your last day will be. Your days are written in his book before you live in one. God knows your final hour, but you don't. And unless you are exceedingly prideful and quite frankly, just purely ignorant, you know you don't know your last day. You know you don't know your last hour. Here's the fact. Are you ready for a statistical fact? Pastor Jeff hinted at it because he and I discussed it, but here is a statistical fact. Not everybody sitting here under the sound of my voice, and certainly not everyone tuned in out there, will be here next Easter. That is a statistical fact. And it's not just old people. Are you ready to meet your maker? Seriously, somebody's got to love you enough to ask you that question and poke you and prod you because the Bible says to spur one another on to good works. And the good work first is saying yes to Jesus. So it's never too late to come to Christ. Salvation is simple and the very worst sinner can be saved. Do you notice that the extent of this thief's sin didn't alter his chance of being saved one little bit? There's no doubt this guy was a criminal. There's no doubt he had broken the law. He himself admitted, we deserve what we're getting. Every bit of it, every nail, every stripe, I deserve it. But he was still saved in that moment. Fanny Crosby wrote it like this, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You remember that old song? To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life, an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Another verse says, oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. 
Can't help but hear that and just want to break out. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Do you know it? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Not great things I have done, not great things you have done, not great things grace has done, great things Jesus Christ has done, finished. It is done, praise the Lord. So as the worship man joins me, which side are you on? Have you received or rejected? If you've never really asked the Lord to remember you, you can do it now. Paradise is waiting. The King of Kings wants you to walk with him. And here's the deal. Christianity is not just about the then and there, the sweet by and by, the pie in the sky. Christianity is about the awesome here and now. Jesus wants you to walk with him today. He'll change as a parent, as a spouse, as a child, as a grandparent, as a worker, as a student. He'll change you today. He'll begin transforming you from the inside out. Pastor, I would, but there's some things I gotta straighten out first. Your choice, but you just told Jesus no. Your call, and you may have another chance, but I guarantee you, you'll never have this chance again. You'll never get back Easter 2022. And I want you to come and receive the Lord today. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as you think about which side are you on. And when I ask you to do the very same thing I ask of the first service, my goal would never be to manipulate nor to embarrass anyone. That's just not who I am. God alone does the saving. And I can't, if I can convince you to do something, the devil can convince you to do something else because he's far, far more powerful. Uh, but he's not more powerful than the Holy Spirit. I'm not tangling with him. Jesus has already defeated him but he's not more powerful than the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm gonna ask. If you think, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Maybe you know you're lost. Maybe you know you're on the cross of rejection. Maybe you're just unsure. Maybe you're caught in the middle. I just need you to pray for me. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands and every eye's gonna be open and every head up. But I'm also gonna ask others of you, because my goal is not to call you out my goal is not to point a finger at you. The cameras aren't going to be poised on you. But I would say, do you know someone? You're a brother. You're a sister. You know Jesus. But do you know someone? Do you know someone that needs to move crosses? Do you know someone that needs to say yes to Christ? Lord, remember. Do you know someone? See, last week we were praying evangelistically. This week, guess what? We're going to pray evangelistically. And if you are the person that says, I need the prayer... Pastor, I need the person. See, God knows your name, even if I don't. He knows your heart, even if I don't. But you say, I need, I need to nail it down. I need to know. Then you're going to raise your hand in a moment. But if you're somebody who says, you know what? I know someone who needs to know. Pastor, we need to pray for them too. Then both sets. That way, this is ultimately between you and the Lord. But both sets of you, if you fall into one of those camps, I need Jesus, I think I need him, or I know someone who needs him, I'm going to pray for him. If that's you... Raise your hand up right now. And I'm, ra I'm literally raising mine because I know people that need the Lord. Okay? All right, that's good. All over the place. Now, for those of you that can and are willing, listen, you're not going to be late to lunch. Just chill. We're going to be going home in a minute. If you're willing, 
If you're willing, I'd like you to put feet to the prayer. This is a holy day and a holy place. This is a holy altar and we're coming before a holy God. And if you would come and say, I'm gonna put feet to that. Now some of you, some of you still need to come and talk to me and my sweet wife and our counselors and pastors like they did last hour. You need to come and nail it down and don't go home until you do. But you're gonna come and just ask God to do what only God can do. In fact, I'm gonna do this a little different too. I'm gonna ask you to start coming. If you're willing to pray for that person you raised your hand for, it could be yourself, it could be somebody else. I'm getting ready to pray. So with heads now bowing and eyes now closing, you're starting to walk. Anybody that wants to pray, you raised your hand, you said, I'm praying for such and such, or I'm praying for my Myself. I need Lord to remember me. You're starting to walk right now. I'm just going to fill the altar. You're going to flood it on Easter Sunday. We don't know why you're coming, but God in heaven knows, and you're putting feet now to your prayers. Fathers, men and women and young people come praying for themselves, some praying as intercessors for others. You know their heart. And if they ask, you will say yes. If they say, Lord, remember me, you will promise them paradise this very day. You as their king will begin to walk with them this very day. I'm grateful that we just don't have to beg and we don't have to be good enough and we don't have to deserve it and we don't have to come to church enough. All those things are fine, but none of those things save. So we're gonna spend a few minutes when we think about the living Savior who didn't stay on that cross. He didn't stay in that tomb. He is at your right hand. When we think about the living risen Savior, which side are we on? Let us nail it down right now in our final minutes together in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all continue to pray. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.